Oh, yeah. Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. John Pielli getting ready for hour two of the radio program. I want to thank my guests in the first hour, Mets pitching prospects Ryan Frazier and Matt Budgel for joining the program. Uh, lots to go over here. Definitely, uh, listen, we've got, uh, got two interviews scheduled. we got uh, Philip Evans, who's a, a shortstop prospect in the Mets organization, played last year with the Brooklyn joining us in a little bit, and then former Major League infielder Greg Blosser calling around 6.30 or so. So we're going to squeeze in some phone calls you know, between that, but I'm um, just going to kind of get into the AL MVP discussion, and I think you know, that announcement's going to be made probably within the hour, and you'll find out whether uh, you know, Miguel Cabrera or Mike Trout grabbed the award uh, for the American League. And, I, and to me, this is coming back in a, this is a situation where you're looking at two types of people that are really kind of uh, making this kind of a draw. And, you know, you got the you got the baseball purists that appreciate the fact that there's a triple crown winner in the American League for the first time since 1967 where Carl Yastrzemski won it. And, you know, you cannot deny what Miguel Cabrera did. Led the league in home runs, RBI, you know, batting average. He took the Detroit Tigers to where they were. And then you got the other side of it where you got Mike Trout who – had a phenomenal season himself, and there's nothing to take anything away from that. The guy, you know, pretty much helped the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim get out of that ridiculous slump that they got in to start the season. Remember how we we read them all, rode them off for dead when the season started, when they didn't get the job done, they didn't get off to that fast start that everybody expected them to do after they signed Albert Pujols and C.J. Wilson and everything that they did with that organization. Mike Trout save their season. So you got the other side of it where the sabermetricians get in there and they look at Mike Trout's war, you know, over 10. And they have this set up to be the new configuration, the new setup, the new way that MVP awards should be determined. And while I'm not necessarily against it, I kind of am. Because the baseball purist angle compares the players that have played over the last several years of this game and numbers that determine that are all of a sudden not going to be factors. And I, I kind of have a problem with that because this vote should not be as close as people make it out to be. And I could be wrong. Mike Trout could win the award. And if he does, it's a sign that the sabermetrics and the sabermetricians are taking over this game. And I, I've been kind of an opponent to it. I really have been. I haven't necessarily jumped on board and gotten all crazy and said, let's do everything the Sabermetrics way. You know, I appreciate a lot of the things that it, that it does. You know, OPS is really a good way to determine how, how a hitter is. You know, if they're, they're getting on base and they're getting a lot of bases every time they, they, they get a hit, it's obviously a, 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 bene, a beneficiary. But. A player that leads the league in home runs, RBIs, batting average, total bases. That has to be a deal breaker to me. And the one factor that I'm going to say, and sorry about Mike Trout and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim who had more wins in a regular season than the Detroit Tigers, but they did finish third place in their division. And I understand that. You know, you don't, you know, not too many years go by that you win 93 games and have two teams finish above you, especially the way this thing played out. Nobody expected the A's to be as good as they were. Everybody expected the Rangers to be even better than they were. But 
Miguel Cabrera took the Detroit Tigers on his back in the second half of the season. The Tigers were struggling. The Tigers were one of the disappointments in Major League Baseball. Everybody looked at the money that they gave to Prince Fielder. Everybody looked at everything that was involved in that organization from the payroll to the fact that we just said, listen, like I mentioned earlier in the program, they were stacked. And his team was floundering. The Chicago White Sox were running away with that division. And as things got closer, Miguel Cabrera decided that it was time to put the team on his back. And there was no question that there was not anybody else on the Detroit Tiger team that was leading them other than Miguel Cabrera. And he is the reason, not Justin Verlander, not Prince Fielder, he was the reason that the Tigers took off in August and September and took that American League Central Division. Now, I know postseason numbers and, you know, postseason, you know, uh, factors of where the team ends up aren't factored into the league's MVP voting. But the Tigers are not a postseason team. They do not win the American League Central without Miguel Cabrera. And that being said, Mike Trout, as great of a year as he had as a rookie, and he should have absolutely won the Rookie of the Year award without a doubt. There shouldn't have been any discussion about it, and there was little. There was little dispute over who the American League Rookie of the Year was in 2012. And on a lot of other seasons, depending on the competition, depending on who else is out there, Mike Trout is an MVP, but not this season. And I know the sabermetricians don't like to hear it. They like to look at it, the fact that he had two more wins above replacement than anybody else in baseball. But Miguel Cabrera had a season that we hadn't seen in the American League in 45 years since Carl Yastrzemski in 1967. And that needs to be noted. And that's the reason why I think when it comes down to it, though it will be a little more closely contested than I give it credit for, Miguel Cabrera will take the American League Most Valuable Player because the definition of the award says, in my opinion and a lot of other people's opinion, that it is a player that is the most valuable to their team. Could the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim finish third place in the American League West without Mike Trout? And the answer is easily yes. Do the Angels win more games because of Mike Trout? Yes. The wins above replacement will say that. His numbers and his impact on the team, what he did in every aspect of the game, says yes. But the Angels could have finished third place without him. The Tigers could not have won the American League Central without Miguel Cabrera. And I think when we talked about before with R.A. Dickey and the Cy Young and the tiebreakers, and I mentioned being a bulldog, being the guy that's going to go out there, give you a quality start every time, pitch into the seventh, eighth inning every time, complete games, face the most batters, uh, you know, have a low whip, you know, everything that's involved with that, pitch a lot of innings. The the determining factor in you know when it comes to a position player is a guy that's going to carry his team. Now, is it to a fault of Mike Trout that Albert Pujols is on his team? No, because everybody could see reasonably that a guy like Albert Pujols could carry 
the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. But when it comes down to it, and if it even is a tie, and I don't think it is, I think numbers-wise, Cabrera's got Trout beat. Not that Trout cannot be an MVP in the American League. If it was a different year and Miguel Cabrera wasn't in the factor, it wasn't factored into the discussion, it would not be a discussion. And we're going to put that on hold, and we're going to welcome to the program Philip Evans, who's a shortstop prospect in the New York Mets organization. Philly, you there, buddy? Yeah. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Yeah, anytime, man. Hey, listen, man, let's uh, let's get into you know a little bit about here. You play, play for the Brooklyn Cyclones. Um, you know, you got you got pretty much a good chance to play down there. Tell us a little bit about your season in 2012. Um, I had a, I had a blast in Brooklyn. Uh, all the fans are great out there um, in New York, especially the Brooklyn area. Staten uh, Island games got pretty hectic during the season, but those are those are a lot of fun. I mean, got to play every single day, hit third for the most part the whole season, so I got a nice taste about uh, playing every day. All right, now, t- now tell us a little bit about, about your makeup. A lot of the fans don't don't really know much about your abilities. Are you, uh, you a power guy, speed guy? What's your uh, your main attributes from your own opinion? Uh, I mean, I pretty much uh, <clears throat> am strong in every point of the game, but I'm uh, mostly just an average hitter, pretty, pretty solid in the field consistent in the field this past season and throughout my career and just trying to get my offense a little better, trying to consistently be a 300 hitter with a a few bombs a year, a couple stolen bags, help help the team win a little bit, score some runs. So I'm pretty much just a big team guy and uh, all about about winning. Uh, Definitely good to hear, man. Now, now, tell us a little bit about um, you know, are you uh, are are how, what about your defense? Tell us a little bit about it. Are, are you are you a pure shortstop? Is that where you see yourself in a couple of years, or could yeah, you definitely, potentially? Man. Definitely, definitely. Uh, shortstop's been my position my entire life, so I've been pretty solid over there. I know know it pretty well. Uh, I know I can definitely improve as my career goes on, but I wouldn't mind playing anywhere else in the field as long as I get the chance to play every single day. Now, coming up as a shortstop, was that was that pretty much where you were as you as you, you know, went through high school and stuff like that before you were drafted in the 15th round in 2011? Yeah. That was that was that was cool, man. Yeah, well, now was it Definitely. Yeah. Now was was there anybody you kind of emulated yourself out of, you know, growing up, you know, the other shortstops that maybe played the game or anything or was this just, you know, you just kind of went at it? Yeah, I mean, uh definitely have my own style, but I definitely uh, copied a little bit of Jimmy Rollins style growing up, just kind of smooth as he is, and just kind of plays the game right, plays the game hard. Yeah, no question, man. Uh, now, as as you're moving in, are you doing anything as far as this off season? You playing any uh, fall league or winter ball or anything? Uh, not really. Just just working out, uh, trying to get a little bit faster, a little quicker on the base pass this this next summer, uh, season. And I'm just kind of focusing on that mostly the entire off season. Now, as you as you were uh, you know approaching the draft in 2011, was it um, you know was it something that you kind of expected? Were you expecting to be drafted you know even as high as you were, or maybe you know you expected to be higher? How about how about a little bit going into the draft in 2011? Um, I mean the draft kind of works in weird ways, but uh, I was definitely pumped to 
to uh, enter the draft. And, uh, I mean, I had a full ride to San Diego State. That was, that was going to be pretty fun for me, being close to home, uh, having a chance for my parents to come out, my family, support me out there. But uh, definitely definitely pretty pretty excited getting drafted by the Mets, getting that phone call in uh, June last year. Now, now, was this a was this a situation that you were uh, you were kind of debating whether or not you wanted to 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 go to school? You know, take you know San Diego State up on the offer and maybe bypassing a chance to play professionally. Um, not really. I mean, my whole life I've been wanting to play professional baseball. So when I got that opportunity, I I just pretty much just took it. Now, nah, no question, man. Now, once again, this is John Piel. I'm here with Mets uh, shortstop prospect Philip Evans, who played most recently for the Brooklyn Cyclones last year. Now, you, you mentioned that, you know emulating yourself kind of a little bit out of a guy like Jimmy Rollins. Do you do you bring yeah. the whole? Do you, are you bringing the whole thing with you to you know to Jimmy Rollins Moxie, or is it something you just <laughs> you just kind of do your own thing? I mean, I, I pretty much do my own thing. I'm my own style of play. I mean, I'm a I'm a scrappy guy, a grind, grind through the innings, uh, help pretty solid in defense don't make too many errors so i mean i'm pretty smooth in the field just trying to get on base a lot more this next this next season now you know this might be a tough question and i you know if you can't answer it i understand <clears throat> as you're coming through do you have any vision of yourself as far as what do you think your track could be obviously the ultimate goal in the end is to you know be in the major leagues make it up there with the big guys um, is this something that you have a plan to do maybe on a short term or is it something that you may see yourself, you know, maybe years down the road getting to the ultimate goal of making the major leagues? I mean, the work I put in off season and during season, I should hopefully be in up in the with the big boys in a few years. That's what my, my short term goal is. I'm just gonna put as much work as I can in to uh help myself get to that goal I set my for myself. Yeah, no question, man. I mean, that's uh, that's actually great to hear. Now, as you're as you're moving up, is there anything that you feel like you got to improve on? You know, as far as you uh, know, are you looking on to kind of you know, as, as you said, you work out a lot and stuff. Are you looking to uh, you know maybe bulk up to be more of a power hitter as you've shown, or is there anything that you're uh, trying to get yourself to to get to that next level? I don't really need to bulk up too much. Uh, I mean, I got power from. I'm I'm a pretty little dude, but. Uh, I mean, I got some pop for how my size, <clears throat> but the main thing, I just need to get a little faster, steal some bags when I draw some walks, and uh, get myself in strong position so my team has a chance to, to win some ball games. Nah, no question, man. Listen, Phil, I want to thank you for having some time calling into the show. Hopefully I can get you on sometime in the near future, man. Yeah, anytime, man. Thanks, John, for having me. Yeah, anytime, man. Yeah, that was Philip Evans, and you can follow him on Twitter at at I believe P Evans. Let me just get this for you real quick. I don't want to, I don't want to mess up the guy's Twitter handle uh, at P Evans twenty eight. You can follow Philip Evans on Twitter, and you know, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of talk obviously is. I mean, I've had a couple you know Mets pitchers on last week and this week, you know, so you, you kind of know about some guys maybe you didn't hear too much about. But here's a here's a guy. He's a middle infielder. Here's a shortstop. You know, you think about, you know, Ruben Tejada doing a good job, but, you know, you, you think that, hey, there's nobody set up to take the second base position. You know, maybe Tejada isn't around in a couple of years. But, hey, take a look at this guy. This guy did a pretty good job for Brooklyn last year, hit two fifty two, five homers, 29 RBIs in short season, uh, A ball with the Brooklyn Cyclones, and, you know, was, was their number three hitter. 
You know, he was a guy that, you know, was expected to be, you know, a power source. A guy who's going to drive in runs. Guy who's going to get on base, use his speed. He kind of has a lot of the tools. So you're looking at a situation where maybe this, maybe this guy ends up, like he said, maybe, you know, getting up there a little quicker than somebody thinks. You know, here's a guy who I could clearly see, you know, making a step next year to Savannah, you know, which is low A, and then St. Lucie, and then maybe making a jump from there. And, you know, if he continues to work on the things that, it, that he's working on, I, I, I could see him as being touted as a pretty higher prospect than he is right now. So, you know, great, great to hear from him. Once again, you can follow Phil, Phil Evans at, uh, at PEvans28 on Twitter. But um, once again, this is John Pielli, Pass Ball Show on TR Radio Network. I'm going to kind of open the phone lines if anybody wants to call in, join the show. You know, go say whatever you want. You know, get some opinions in. Number 609 910 and I'll throw it out there one more time, 609-910-0687. We'll get you up on a past ball show right here, brought to you by com on the MTR Radio Network. But uh, before that, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and uh, we'll get back to, to plenty more going on here with the past ball show. MTR Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to mtrradio.com. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. What's up, everybody? This is James Flippin, and you're rocking with the crew on MTR Radio. Welcome to mtrradio.com. You can listen to our live program. You can put this together, right? <clears throat> I like to tap that app on MTR Radio. <laughs> uh, let's see. <clears throat> MTR. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> MTR Radio. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> MTR Radio. I love MTR Radio because of its uh, innovative direction. That's a bunch of shit. I love MTR Radio because they accept me. Ah, you knucklehead. Hey, everyone. This is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Trending today on Twitter. Welcome back, Pass Ball Show on TR Radio Network. This is John Pielli, and uh, for those of you who are probably watching and already know that uh, San Francisco Giants catcher Buster Posey uh, just won the uh, National League Most Valuable Player Award, and I don't think that really goes as a surprise. Uh, you know, I don't think any of us are really shocked to hear that Posey, the best player on the best team. And obviously, we don't want to factor in the postseason when it comes to uh, 
you know, announcing the awards. But let's be honest. I mean, based on the other candidates, listen, some players had very good seasons. Ryan Braun, you know, certainly backed up his MVP season with another solid one for the Milwaukee Brewers. But the Brewers were not where they were. And obviously a lot of that had to do with not having Prince Fielder, you know, in the mix. I think certainly, you know, step, help them step back a little bit. And uh, obviously, you know, as the season goes on, they trade Zach Greinke and, you know, really weren't a factor. The Reds were as, as dominant as they were for most of the season. The St. Louis Cardinals were as good as they were. So it was really tough for a team like the Milwaukee Brewers to get to where they were in the 2011 season when they won the National League Central Division. But obviously a lot had to do with Prince Fielder. I mean, you know, Ryan Braun backed up his season of 41 home runs, 100-plus RBIs, uh, was certainly an MVP candidate. But when it really comes down to it, it really came down to a guy like Posey who, like I mentioned before when I was talking about Miguel Cabrera and, you know, the discussion about him, you know, winning the, you know, winning the MVP in the American League, where are the Giants without him? Where are the Giants without Buster Posey? And obviously it was more, it was more imperative or more noticed in the postseason. But you look at, you take his bat and his glove, what he does behind the plate with all those pitchers and everything that's involved with that. And you take that away. Where are the San Francisco Giants? You could be honest. Let's let's be honest. Let's look at look at where the Giants were with Tim Lincecum struggling like he was. And the Giants would not be as good as they were without Buster Posey. The Giants do not win the National League Western Division without Buster Posey. Let's be honest. He is the most valuable player in the National League. And we're not we're not talking about, you know, just a you know, a nice award saying, Hey, congratulations, you did a good job. But the definition of the most valuable player was what Buster Posey was to the San Francisco Giants. And listen, you, you could you could vote a different way. You could vote for McCutcheon. McCutcheon had a tremendous year. Andrew McCutcheon for the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, he was by far the best player on the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pirates wouldn't have been anywhere near where they were without Andrew McCutcheon. But let's look at where the Pittsburgh Pirates were. They were a team that started out strong again, just like they did in 2011, and they had a bad second half. That bad second half put them in a position where they finished under 500 for the 20th consecutive season. And that doesn't bode well when we're looking at voters and voting for the Most Valuable Player Award. David Wright of the New York Mets finished his sixth in the voting. I, I don't think anybody's really shocked by that. R.A. Dickey got a lot of votes as well. Uh, you know, uh, got votes as well. But, you know, the way it ends up turning out, listen, I, I don't think you could be really shocked with the way this turned out. This was one of those votes that, in my opinion, was pretty much set up to be, you know, a uh, an easy one. And I think, and I think, and I, listen, I could be wrong. I mean, I've been wrong plenty of times before. I could see the AL vote going a similar way. And hopefully we'll find out before the show's over. And I believe, you know, with the MLB Network special that they have from 6 to 7 o'clock, the AL MVP will be announced before uh, this program ends today. And I do want to let you know that afterwards we got a, a nice program going, nice stuff going on on MTRRadio.com, I believe. Uh, Philly Baseball Beat's going to follow us, followed by MTR Sports Report, It's Your Money, and, you know, uh, I believe Italian Hour tonight. So stay tuned to the dial. But before we go any further, we're going to welcome uh, former Major League infielder Greg Blosser to the program. Greg, it's John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. 
No, not a problem, John. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, pretty good, man. Uh, you know, like I said, welcome aboard, man. Listen, uh, you know, you you, told, you you look at your major league career, and you know, unfortunately, you didn't get as much of an opportunity to play in the big leagues as you as you could. But mm-hmm. look, looking at your your success you had in the minor leagues, um, in my opinion, you should have gotten more of a crack at it. What, in your opinion, kind of kept you from being in the major leagues as long as you wanted to be? Well, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that really hurt me was that strike in 94. Um, I got called up in the in uh, September of 93. That was my first big league experience. And then uh, I go back spring training in 94, and I make the team out of spring training. I uh, didn't get much playing time. I think I got maybe 11 at bats or so at the time. They sent me back down, and then had a decent uh, decent year in Triple uh, A, and then the strike happened. So I think that that had something to do with it. I would have got a little bit more of a look. Um, but you know, the, the the man that drafted me, Lou Gorman, at the time at the Red Sox, it, he was on his way out. And uh, people tell you when the new GM comes in, and Dan Duquette came in, Duquette, and uh, you know he, he had his own he had his own thing going, and who he thought should make it, and blah blah blah. So you know, you get wrapped up in the the big business part of it when you get up there. And, Kind of the right place, right time for most guys, you know. No, absolutely, man. Now, looking, you know, looking at your 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 minor league career. I mean, you know, you were drafted, of course, in 1989 uh, in the first round. You know, the 16th pick overall, and yet you, you end up putting up some really good numbers, really up until the strike happened. Um, you know, at the at the yeah. time, you know, at the time, it looked like you really, you know, you were you were on the pace to make it to the major leagues. Do you think? Uh, yeah. do, you, do you think specifically it was a strike that kind of held you back? You know, I, I don't really know. I think, you know, when I went up and, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, and, and this has happened to certain players in their career, um, I struggled at the very beginning. I mean, look at my stats. I mean, they're, they're, they're terrible. People point them out to me all the time, you know, that don't know me and, you know, kind of make fun of me to ask if I was a pitcher or whatnot, you know. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I – you know, I, I could easily, you know, had a few more hits and, and the strike wouldn't have happened maybe and I would have, you know, I, I don't know. Looking back on it, you know, I know that I gave my maximum effort and uh, I wasn't really in control of that. You know, I just went to the field every day and, and, and tried to do my best. So, uh, you know, I wish it would have worked out differently. I think if I wasn't with Boston, if I was, was a smaller market team, you know, maybe a Pittsburgh or Kansas City, I definitely would have gotten a year where they would just let me, you know, fall fall over. Uh, myself or whatever, you know, my rookie year, if that was going to be the case. Um, but Boston was under a lot of pressure at that time to win a World Series. That was, you know, before the World Series time. And, you know, you recall they traded a good friend of mine, uh, you know, Badwell. Uh, I got to know him a little bit with the Red Sox. He was only there briefly, and they traded him for, for a relief pitcher named Larry, Larry Anderson. So, you know, I, I think there were some moves going on back in the day in the Red Sox, but I don't think they were really too worried about cultivating their rookies. Or their younger players they drafted, they were much more concerned about experience. You know, maybe getting free agents uh, and that type of. Uh, they were they, they chose that type of path, I believe, and and uh, so, you know, that was just the way the Red Sox were at that time. I didn't know it when I signed with them. Looking back, I think I would have accepted my full ride to, to Mississippi State and went and went four years later. So. Yeah, no, no question, man. Now, now I think you hit on some good points. You know, talking about being with you know with with the Boston Red Sox organization that. You know, in spite of the lack of, let's say, World Series success that they had, you know, around the time you played, they're always the kind of organization that was really about, you know, getting the biggest names, you know, yeah. doing everything they can to have the biggest impact. 
you know, you know, as far as, you know, player names and stuff like that to try to keep themselves the most competitive. Do you do you do you think real strongly that if you let's say like you were a guy traded for Larry Anderson or something like that, that you would have had a similar opportunity or maybe would have been able to capitalize on a chance to play in the major yeah. leagues? I, I I think I would have had a shot. I mean, if you give if you if you look at my overall numbers in the minor leagues, now those are usually numbers that are figured into you know, you know 120, 125 games. You know, if I'd added maybe 25, 30 more games, I could add maybe four or five, ten, you know, maybe ten home runs a year. So I could have. I think I had a legit shot of being a a two fifty, two seventy guy. You know, and with maybe twenty five to thirty home runs, and you know, maybe ninety, hundred RBIs. You know, a year. Because I had the power to do that, and I didn't. It wasn't because I had a slow bat or I had anything wrong with the way that I hit. It just I, I was it was kind of a taller lefty, more of a timing type hitter. So kind of you know I'm, I was more of the guy who wanted to be in the lineup every day, you know, getting his timing, and I got you know I could have a good month, you know I could have a bad you know bad month just like most players. Um, but uh, you know uh, you know I, I don't look back at it with any you know. Uh, sour grapes on it you know it, it was it's just the way it was um, i'm proud of the fact that i, I made it because that was my goal when i was a young boy uh when i started so, you know i wish i could have played a lot longer there's no doubt about it and i think i would have had a lot more of a, a lot more of a chance with a smaller market team yeah no question man once again this is john pielli i'm here with former former major league outfielder greg blosser now greg you know, as, as you as you move on, you you, know, you end up in the, with the Orioles organization, the Rangers, the Rays, the Giants. Did you ever hit a certain point where you really felt that you know the major leagues was really that close to being in grasp again? Um, yeah, I, I did. I I, I signed. I I, I kind of had a, a not too good of a year in '96. I played some some with Triple uh, A up in Rochester and. Uh, the next, the next year, I signed with the, the, the Rays, the, the Tampa Rays at the time, and they didn't have a major league team at the time. So I, I signed on with them, uh, and they promised to loan me out to a Triple A team. And I, I had an incredible year. I hit over 300 that year and over 20 home runs. And, and of course, they didn't have a major league team to get called up into. But I, I, I went to spring training the following year in '98, and uh, then in 1998, I went to Durham and hit 25 home runs, I believe, and had a really good year. And I ultimately went on to Japan. I thought at that time, you know, that I was still able to be able, if somebody were to pick me up at that time, I definitely thought I could have, you know, had, you know, I could have made a difference up there for a team. But, you know, you got to understand, I mean, that's, that's how all of, all of us thought, you know, we all thought we could play up there, you know, that was the whole thing. So, you know, I mean, whether or not somebody else thought that, I don't know. Um, but my own mind, yeah. I mean, I, I always thought that I could play up there. Now, um, I, I, you know, and I'm sure you've interviewed many other guys that have told you this. I mean, it's a tough game. You you learn it, you know, when you're younger that it's you know the game is set up for failure. So, I was lucky in my mind just to get to where I was. I mean, so, you know, you you kind of you're disappointed, but then again, yet you're proud of yourself all the time. So it's kind of a, a mixed emotions uh, when you're you know when you when I look back at that time now of being so close. Yeah. Now, as as you move on, you end up in the you know the you know the Japanese league and stuff like that. You end up playing some independent ball. Did you did you feel kind of the grip kind of going away as far as the advantage that you had you know years before? Did you feel like you're hitting a point where you maybe running out of time at that point? Mm, you know what? I never thought of it that way. I thought more of it like you know the acceptance of um, that it, it it might be. Uh, it might not happen the way I, I thought it initially would when I was younger. I'd you know have more more years in the big league. So 
I started to adjust myself to after what I was going to do, and I got into the real estate field, and I did some private investigation work, and I have a foundation for a brother that I had that passed away. He played for the Royals for a couple of years as a minor leaguer, and he passed away. So I did a, I have a foundation with that. And so I, I, I geared myself when I started feeling that, and you know that was me around 2000, 2001. I went and played in Somerset for Sparky Lyle with the Patriots, which was great. I loved it there. It was one of my favorite places to play. It was one of my favorite times in my career. But after then, I decided that, look, I had some young kids, you know, with my children were at that time 10 and 12, and, you know, I had to start thinking like a dad, not some guy that, I, if, if I didn't have the children and if I didn't have the responsibilities I had, I would have definitely wouldn't have stopped. Yeah, no no question about it, man. Yeah, but uh, it is. Yeah, no, unfortunately it is, man. But you, you did, you did actually. Yeah, real life, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you, you did make a little bit of a comeback, though. In 2008, you were playing for uh, Lancaster. Yeah. Now, tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Was it something that just kind of came back to you? You were like, you wanted to give it one uh, last shot? Yeah, you know, uh, here's the thing. You, 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 in your brain, you can do it. And I don't know how old you are. You sound younger than me. Uh, but uh, when you uh, you get to where your mind still can do it, uh, but your body doesn't want to. I, I would. Ex- that experience was fun. I had a, you know, the one thing that I really, truly miss, and I'm sure a lot of, a lot of the old guys would say this, is the, you know, the travel around the camaraderie. Uh, you simply can't replicate it in real life. It's really, it truly is a, is a great experience being a professional ball player. There's no doubt. Um, but it, it, you know, I was, I had uh, tweaked my calf a couple times. My hamstrings were always killing me. I was just, my body was telling me I was out of there too long. And so one day, Vaughn Hayes was coaching there, and he, we were talking, and we basically just decided, look, I mean, they wanted to release me, and I said, look, this, you know. Let, I'm, I'll, I'll, re, I'll, I'll retire. Don't release me. I don't want to do that. But I just basically said, "All right, I'm going to give it up." So it, I was hurting. I didn't honest with anybody. I, I physically at that point, not I'm only 41 now, but at that time I was, you know, in the late 30s. But once you lay off that amount of time, you just don't realize how tough the game is physically until you try to go back and play it. So. Yeah, now it's something you know, the average person probably can't relate to. Now, as you as you as you move forward, do you have any uh, any interest in getting involved in the game at all anymore, as far as coaching or anything? Oh yeah, I work with I, on occasion here. I work with some of the youth in the area here on a on a on a just a free basis. You know, I come across a uh, you know young boy playing some ball, and his dad maybe I'll work with him, but. Uh, as far as professionally, no, I, I really don't have. I, I would love to, but quite simply, I don't want to travel. And what I do, as far as my business, I don't think I could replicate that financially. So um, I would love to do it, but you know, it, it would take some extensive traveling and, and 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 you know, kind of going backwards financially for me. So I, you know, now that would be awesome to be a coach in the big leagues. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think that I'm the kind of candidate they're looking for an old outfielder. So. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I love the game. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge historian of the game, anything to do with black and white or the old days. And I'm reading a great book over by Cobb now, which is an incredible story. Yeah, and no, absolutely uh, is. And I, I'm, I'm a huge Ty Cobb did you fan. Read that book? Yeah, actually, did you read that book? I did. Yeah, I'm, I, dude, I yeah. honestly, like, I unfortunately am not old enough to be able to see like even a lot of the players in the 50s and 60s. But my. Yeah. You know, I, I just I just love the whole historical aspect of the game, and I tell you, Ty Cobb represents everything that that was good about a player that was going to do nothing but try to win and do everything he can to make, you know, really, really, really make himself the best player he could be. Absolutely, I mean, so 
but I, I'm lucky. You know, I did I did get my name up there, so I, I'm allowed to be part of the major league alumni, and I get to meet a lot of these old older gentlemen who are just referring about you know a lot of the older guys. So, you know, it wasn't as much time as I wanted, obviously, and uh, but you know, it was something that I'm very proud of in my life, and that's you know something I always cherish being able to play in a big league game. So, yeah, no question. You know, Thank you. <laughs> so. Absolutely, man. Once again, this is John Pielli. I'm here with former major major league outfielder Greg Blosser. Now, you know, talking about you know the you know the following the game and stuff like that. You know, the AL MVP is about to be announced. Who do you got, Cabrera or Trout? Oh, no, I'm sorry. What was that now? Now I said the uh, the AL MVP is about to be announced. You know, in a couple oh, of minutes. Oh, oh. Who, oh yeah. who you got? Well, yeah, I mean, I I, I would look at Cabrera because well, let's face it. Nobody, you know, the triple crown is the clincher. Now, if he didn't do it, I would maybe kind of think Trout might be able to, I mean, maybe be in my second place because he's just simply amazing. But I, I would agree. I think Cabrera, I mean, how could they not this time? I mean, triple crown winner. Yeah, that's how, and it's, it doesn't take anything away from what Trout did. He had a great season. No, a lot, no. a lot, a lot of other se- a lot of other years, depending on the competition, he could probably win it. But I just think when yeah. you got a guy like Cabrera who – not only won the triple crown, but carried the Detroit Tigers in August and September, yeah. and they wouldn't have been I where agree. they were without him. I completely agree. Trout has enough time to. I'm sure he's going to win one or two in his career. Yeah, no question about it. Listen, Greg, I want to thank you for having some time today. I appreciate you being part of the program, and uh, maybe I could get you on the show sometime in the near future. Anytime you need help with anything, man, I, I'm here. You got my number, buddy. Thanks, man. Best of luck to you. You're welcome. All right. And that was Greg Blosser, former outfielder, played. A little bit with the Red Sox in, uh, was it 1993 and 1994? And i tell you one thing that, you know, certainly kind of bleeds out of them. That, you know, the the baseball player strike of uh, 1994 into 1995 really affected, you know, not only him, but a lot of other players. And we talked about, uh, you know, we talked about Derek May, who was on the show before, you know, and a couple other guys, Roosevelt Brown, you know, guys who were playing in that time. And the strike really hurt a lot of players, you know, and a lot of, you know, fringe guys that were looking for their first crack. And, you know, once that happened, once they went back to it, it was, what have you done for me lately? And a lot of guys that were in the minor leagues at the time really suffered. And, you know, Greg Blosser, if you look at his uh, minor league numbers, he was a perennial 20-home run guy, you know, at, at AAA a lot of the years. Even after his time in Boston, you know, when he played in 1997 with, uh, you know, with the Texas Rangers organization, here's a guy that's hitting 20-plus home runs. And, you know, with Durham, with the Rays organization in 98, you know, here's a guy that really had the ability to uh, make an impact at some point in the major leagues. And it's unfortunate that it didn't happen. But I do want to thank Greg Blosser for having some time to join the program, being part of the Passball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network. And, uh, you know, this, this to me is enough time to kind of get into, you know, what happened yesterday with the amazing. And let's be honest. I mean, if you're a baseball fan, tell me you weren't shocked when you heard about the trade that went down between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Miami Marlins. And as the program is coming close to an end, we got another 15 minutes. I do want to open the phone lines up one more time, uh, 609-910-0687. We'll get you right up here in the Passball Show. Feel free to call in. Don't be nervous. Just let me have it. Let me know what you're thinking. And, you know, obviously in your baseball mind right here on a, on a Thursday, a very cold Thursday here in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, broadcasting from the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. But um, the commissioner... Bud Selig was out there today talking about his unhappiness with this trade that went by between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Miami Marlins. And there was talk even up until within the last hour or so 
that he may actually step in and try to refuse this trade. But looking at it, I don't think it's going to happen. And John Heyman's reporting that more than likely this trade is going to go through. It's probably up about 90%. You know, that uh, Bud Selig is not going to step in and absolutely refuse the trade. But the Toronto Blue Jays get better, and the Miami Marlins show how much of a disgrace that they are as an organization. And listen, I've been I've been very negative on the Miami Marlins, and I was talking about it last year and the way things were again and blaming him after the season and how they went off and started selling off their players midseason. You know, listen, I understand it to a point. I understand the mentality in baseball is go with what you got during the season. And if you have a chance to win, get better. If it's not working, try to retool for next season. I got that. And you know what? As as disgraced or as, as disgusted as I was when the Miami Marlins started shipping off Hanley Ramirez and Omar Infante and Annabelle Sanchez and Gabby Sanchez and Edwin Mejica, and if there's anything that I, anybody that I'm missing, please help me fill in. But once they started the fire sale last year, it bled the same old Marlins. The same old Marlins in 1997 under Wayne Huizenga that won a World Series and depleted the team to nothing by the time the 1998 season started. The same Marlins that disgracefully dismantled a young team that won a World Series in 2003 when it had guys like Josh Beckett and Miguel Cabrera who were not old. There were the young players that they developed. This wasn't the 1997 team that went out there and bought every free agent and traded for every high-priced, high-profile player and won a World Series. This is a team that won a World Series because of what it did, because they built through the farm system, because they had their home own homegrown guys in there and dismantled that team also under Jeff Loria, Dave Sampson, and Larry Beinfest. So when you have that history, I think as an organization, you have to take that reputation and change it. Do something to change that reputation. And they did not do that. And as much as everybody talked about what the Miami Marlins did, the new look Miami Marlins with the new stadium and Jose Reyes and Mark Burley and Heath Bell and being in it with Albert Pujols up until the last couple weeks or so. They absolutely should not have done what they did here. And what they did, they did it to the extreme. They didn't just dump a couple guys. I could have even signed up, believe it or not, for what they did during the season. And maybe let a couple guys go like a Heath Bell, who obviously didn't help them at all last year. John Buck, who hit around 200. If he got to 200, I'd be surprised in his batting average. But a couple guys like that wouldn't have surprised me. But two players that was reported that the Miami Marlins were absolutely going to keep were Jose Reyes and Giancarlo Stanton. And I don't mind making this deal with the Toronto Blue Jays in some way, shape, or form. Do you feel like you know Josh Johnson maybe maxed himself out and is not going to be the same pitcher? You know, Do you want to move Mark Burley? I could even buy that. But when you go there and the guy you built your offseason around, Jose Reyes, you pried him away from the Mets, and I know it didn't, it didn't take a lot. It took a reasonable offer to lure him away from the Mets, but that's a whole other story. But when you go out there and you 
market your offseason around Jose Reyes. And the guy goes out there, plays 160 games, hits 260. I know he didn't win the batting title, but had a respectfully good season in 2012. And you trade him to the first team that, that asked for him. It, it, it looks terrible. And, and honestly, if you're a Miami Marlins fan, I understand why you're pissed off right now. I understand why you're infuriated. But the non-Marlins fan has got to be pissed off too. Because this is the game that we all root for and love. And the most important thing that I've said all along is competitive balance. I want every team to have a chance to win. And I hate it when teams stop trying to compete. And you, and, you, and you say the way this happened, the way this worked out with the deal with the Toronto Blue Jays, when you trade Jose Reyes and Mark Burley and Josh Johnson and Emilio Bonifacio and John Buck all in one fair swap, you're quitting. And as much as I didn't like what the Pittsburgh Pirates did around, uh, was it 2008, 2009, where they took the players that they had that built them up to this point and started shipping them off, and they went out there and said, listen, it's not like we're breaking up the 27 Yankees. I could understand that even a little bit more than what the Miami Marlins did here. Because they flat out quit. And I understand that a team that lost 93 games and finished in last place in the National League East should not be proud of itself. I get that. From the ownership, to the front office, to the manager, to the players. It was a bad job this season by the Miami Marlins. It was not the way that they wanted to get their new stadium and their first season in, you know, with the new stadium and a new look Miami Marlins. It's not the way they wanted to get it off. But to break the whole team down to nothing and anybody, and if you're listening now, please call in and let me know. Anybody that thinks this is a good move is out of your ever-loving mind. You do not build teams for the next five, ten years now. You don't say, I'm going to start over and get all players that are 20 to 22 years old and think about maybe competing five to ten years down the road. That's not the way Major League Baseball is anymore. Because if you've watched it, if you've watched the Pittsburgh Pirates of the last 20 years, if you've watched the Kansas City Royals for the last 20 years, the teams that are continuously relying on just young players to have a chance to compete don't. And every now and then you get lucky. The Oakland Athletics, everything they did last year, and I was down on that. And, you know, I'll, I'll eat a little crow. I didn't think the Oakland Athletics were anywhere near as good as they were. But I'm not whole thought about how a group of young players are just going to come in and all of a sudden make an organization competitive. That's not the norm. That's not the way it works out. And let's be honest, that is not the plan. The Miami Marlins, from David Sampson to Larry Beinfest to Jeffrey Lurie, they are not going to be able to sell anybody on how they're going to jump back and be competitive anywhere in the near future. I understand they got some good prospects from the Toronto Blue Jays. Henderson Alvarez has got a high 90s fastball. He's going to be inserted into their rotation. He was, he was probably the best immediate player that they got. 
Yanel Escobar. Listen, Yanel Escobar has a ton of talent, but he has not been able to live up to all of it. Bobby Cox didn't like him. And how many players can Bobby Cox say that about? Not very many. And you add the other younger players, the outfield prospect, a couple pitchers. Yes, the Miami Marlins are stockpiling their farm system. And whether all of these players or you know most of these players either play in the majors next year or not, the Miami Marlins are going to be a disgrace to baseball in the 2013 season. Now listen, they got to play 162 games just like everybody else. Are they going to win some? Sure. They're not going to go all win 162. And they do got some good players. They absolutely have one of the premier power hitters in this game. A guy who's only going to get better in Giancarlo Stanton. And if he checked his tweets, you realize he ain't too happy either. So your star young player who could hit 40 home runs in a season is pissed off that the rest of his team got taken from outside of him. What do you really expect in the 2013 season? Do you expect Stanton to go up there and hit 45 home runs and drive in 120 runs? Yeah, the guy's capable of it. But when, number one, he has no protection. And tell me who's going to protect him in that lineup. Nobody. So you add in the fact that the guy isn't happy. And I'm not going to say he's going to loaf it. I'm not going to say he's not going to give 110%. But I can't see Giancarlo Stanton going out there and putting up showstopper numbers when he has absolutely no protection in that lineup. And I wouldn't be surprised if he went up to the, to management, if he went up to the front office and said, listen, can you trade me? Because why the hell would you want to be on a team like that? Why the hell would you be on want to be on a team that has totally been quit on? What do you have to play for? You're You're selling your star player off and essentially telling him that he's got to play for me. And is that the kind of message that you want to send? Absolutely not. And there should be no reason that that could even be sold to anybody. That you got a young player who wants to learn how to be a team player and was surrounded by a group of players that were peers that he could be teammates with and grow together with. And now you're telling him to go just be Mr. Individual. Go up there and pop your numbers up. Come on, hit 40 home runs for us. Hopefully you'll get a couple extra people in the seats. And you're going to tell your young star player who wants to learn how to be the ultimate team guy. And what are you doing? You're telling him, go out there and be a me guy. And I don't know if this ends for the Miami Marlins. Obviously you know that Logan Morrison's going to be shopped. You know that they're going to look to trade Ricky Nolasco and probably look to get anything for anybody to free as much payroll as you possibly can. But you got a payroll that was right up amongst the $100 million mark. And a couple reports different. One has it about 98.6 going into last season. The other one had it at a slightly over 100 based on different calculations. But you let that payroll go from that number down to $16 million. That's another disgrace. They should call the Better Business Bureau and question why that place is even up there as a business. And I don't care if you're Jeffrey Loria. 
I don't care if you're Dave Sampson or Larry Beinfest. How do you sell that as being a good move for your future? I don't care what kind of prospects you got in there. And I'll tell you, there is no Mike Trouts or Bryce Harpers in that package of players that went to the Miami Marlins. There is nothing you could sell out of that deal that makes it make any sense whatsoever. And you want to just save money? Fine. You want to you want to call out your fans and say thanks for not supporting our new team and our new stadium? That's what you did. And it's a big F you to everybody that supports the Miami Marlins. And I don't care how much you're into younger players and prospects. I don't care how much you're into, hey, I want my team to be the 22-year-old players. There's no way, absolutely no way to sell that as being anything that makes any sense for a professional baseball team. And the Miami Marlin fan probably isn't going to pay attention this year. And I guarantee you, most MLB baseball fans that don't follow the Miami Marlins are hoping that this thing gets worse. And I'll be the first, maybe not the first, but I'll say it on this program, I hope that team loses 120 games this year. Because Jeffrey Loria, Larry Beinfest, and Dave Sampson all deserve it. So screw the Miami Marlins. But just announced the AL MVP to a surprise of no one. Actually, yeah, probably to the surprise of about 50% of the people because they got all these pro Mike Trout guys. Miguel Cabrera wins it in pretty convincing fashion. I didn't think it was going to be, you know, maybe could have been a little closer than it turned out to be. But Miguel Cabrera wins the most valuable player award in the American League for reasons that I told you before. He was the most valuable player in the American League. So that's what we're going to close the program off on. I uh, do want to thank my guests today, Ryan Frazier, uh, Philip Evans, Matt Budgel, Greg Blosser, um, you know, Marty Appel. I did speak to him through uh, through text message. We're going to set up another interview, get him back on a program. You know, apologize for the confusion on my end. But uh, this is the Pass Ball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network. Uh, tune in, not next Thursday, but next Saturday, the 24th. I'll be on from 7 to 9. Um, a lot of good programming coming on. MTR Sports Report, MTR Baseball, I'm sorry, Philly Baseball Beat, um, Italian Hour. Definitely get in. Lots more going on. MTR Radio Network.